someone who's not here. This could be a this could be a love interest or a relationship. It could be a divorce. It could be a you know broken friendship. Um, it could be the loss of a life. But we we hold on to the, the terrible words. We hold on to the we, we I mean we can do it on both the negative and the positive, right? We can hold on to those terrible words that someone once said about us and pretend like that person's words are are somehow reflecting of who we are today, as if we haven't grown, as if that person is 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 the holy grail, right? So there's that end of it. Um, and we need to learn to see ourselves for who we are today and not for what someone in some very uh, unique and confined situation once said about us or, or experienced about our lives. Um, so there's that. And then on, on the positive end or the flip side of that, I, I think also we, we need to learn to embrace the present, leveraging some of those good memories. Maybe it's somebody that we've lost in a way that empowers us to be our best selves. So not living our lives saying that this person who's no longer in our lives um, I'm not going to be able to step forward without them, but more, I'm going to step forward with them. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. And that voice you just heard is Mark Chernoff. And he and his wife, Angel, are New York Times bestselling authors. And they have what Forbes calls one of the most popular personal development blogs on the planet. And they're our guest today on an episode you can't miss. We're sponsored by the good folks at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business and get a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry today at netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. All right, on this episode, an absolutely wonderful couple. I really enjoyed this conversation with them, Mark and Angel Chernoff. They have a, a new book out called A Thousand Plus Little Things Happy Successful People Do differently. <laughs> How's that for a title? And boy, if you want to hook me with a title, that's about as good as you get. Um, we have a fun, insightful conversation about, of course, how to have a more happy life, the 10 mistakes unhappy people make, how to overcome serious setbacks and pain in life. And um, there's a ton of practical insights. This is a fun conversation. This is a spectacular couple. And you also might find fascinating our discussion on expectations. Go to Lockhead.com for more on Mark and Angel and their new book. Uh, you can check out the show notes for that information. And uh, as Joy Ramone said, hey ho, let's go. We got into this work about 12 years ago when we lost two loved ones back to back. We were in our late 20s at the time. Um, and, you know, up to that point in our life, we hadn't done a lot of investment in personal development and self-reflection. And so when we lost, it was a sibling and a best friend, I mean, literally just a few weeks apart from one another. And it was those moments, um, which ultimately, I mean, we went and we saw therapists. I mean, depression set in. We just, we had no tools for coping. Um, and coming out of it, we realized that what we wanted to do on a daily basis was to reflect, right? We wanted to at least acknowledge that our present lives are as important and maybe even more important than all the lofty goals we have sitting out there for ourselves. Because obviously, I mean, we, we, it's, it's a cliche to say, but the journey is what's worth it, right? The journey is what's important. And we had these two people who were very young, one in their mid thirties and one, believe it or not, age 27, who got stripped away from us very young. Um, leaving behind wives, children, um, and lots of loved ones. And so 
I mean, they, I mean, they live on through us for sure. And they are the inspiration behind a line like that and a, and a reason for sitting down and reflecting on a daily basis. Like, are we spending our days um, the way we want to spend our lives? Yeah. Because our days are our lives. Yeah. A friend of mine says, live a life worth living. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You know, and I think this may sound corny to some, but I also think it behooves us, particularly who live in, you know, the part of the world that we live in, parts of the world where you're essentially free to conduct yourself as you want and you can design your own life. And, you know, there there are many people in the world who are not in that situation. If you're born in Syria, um, this book's fantastic but there's bombs going off, right? And, and they don't have an opportunity to say, hey, well, you know, I'm really drawn to art, so I'm gonna be an artist, or I'm really drawn to math, so maybe I'm gonna be an engineer or a scientist, or they, don't, they can't make any of those decisions, right? So I think we are so fortunate to, I think we won the life lottery when we were born in the places we were born, um, and we don't have to worry about those things. Our, we're relatively safe and, and so forth and so on. And so we have an opportunity to actually engage meaningfully in life design. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So often we forget that, right? So often we forget that the freedom that we have just by waking up where we do. Yeah, and we, yeah, we, we, we get caught up in the little things that drive us nuts instead of the little things that empower us to make the best of what we've got in front of us. Um, and you're right, I mean, you know, I mean, it's one of my favorite books is Man's Search for Meaning, which relates a lot to what you just talked about, right? I mean, it's... I can't believe how often this book comes up in my conversations with people. <laughs> it's just, well, it's fantastic because, I mean, I think it's such a great reminder that, you know, yes, not only are we the lucky ones, right? But there are dire situations and challenges that people go through, both in this country and then especially out of this country. You mentioned Syria, great example. Um, and yet still mindset is important, right? Still the ability to focus on the present, the ability to be more accepting, which is really tough. And I'm not saying anyone ever deserves to be in a dire situation, um, but, those, but those who do practice um, and those who get more efficient at managing their mindset and how they address the situation, their responses um, can ultimately save themselves in some way, right? They can, they can be better off than they would have been otherwise. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, and I, but I agree with you. I mean, for those of us who are much more fortunate, leveraging the, the awareness of that um, and saying, you know, I'm not going to say to people, hey, you're in America, man. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? This is the United States of America. What do you mean you can't do that? Who said? <laughs> who the fuck said that? I mean, I'm an immigrant to this country and I, listen, I came from a great country, Canada. We're free to do what we want there. It's an awesome place, right? I'd say the same thing about Canada. You hear people bitching, like you live in Canada and it's like America, but with healthcare. (laughs) (laughs) We were just up there for a speaking gig in Ottawa, man. We loved it. It was just gorgeous city, great people. Yeah, I've had many a drunken evening in Ottawa. <laughs> I bet you did. It looked like a fun, a little fun little bar district there. I saw that. Well, and there's a fun thing about Ottawa. You probably noticed there's a river essentially that, that cuts through the middle of town. And on the other half of Ottawa is uh, the French Canadian side, Quebec. That's yeah. the, the, right. And, and so the French side is called Hull. Well, in uh, Ontario, I'm, I don't know if it's still the same, but I, I'd be surprised if it changed. I think the cutoff time for bars is 1 a.m. And in Quebec, it's 3 a.m., but that's only merely a suggestion. And so what happens in Ottawa when you go out on a Saturday or a Friday or, you know, whatever, maybe Tuesday night, 
<laughs> in Ottawa until midnight or one, and then you hop in a lift and you go across the Rideau Canal. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. In Quebec. <laughs> that's funny. And keep the party going. Yeah. yeah, you can have a very good time in that city, as you could tell I have. So there's other, there's other awesomeness on this list at the end. Um, the belief that failure is the opposite of success. And I have long said that uh, you can't be a legend without being a loser. And, and when I read, you wrote this one sentence that I think is so powerful, the belief that failure is the opposite of success. Yeah. I mean, we, we so often get caught up on, on like kind of the black and whites of life, right? Like I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to fail. And we forget that we are learning every day, right? If we are paying attention and we are aware, the failure is a stepping stone, right? We, we know that intellectually and yet we don't respond that way. We don't act that way. That's not the way we treat ourselves. And so, yeah, we need to bring that into our awareness. And I, and I bet you each one of us could look back on our life and pick a failure that looking back on now, we're grateful that happened. Yeah. I mean, we could probably even pick out things in our lives that we wouldn't wish on anyone else. And yet look at our situation now and say, you know what? I grew a lot from that, right? Like, I mean, it was a necessary part of my journey, even though it was heartbreaking and I wouldn't wish it on anyone I love. Mm -hmm. Right. It it actually, you know, and this is something I've thought about, I've written about, I've talked about. I mean, this is a topic I'm on. And somehow you gave me a fresh perspective with it. And what it led me to, guys, was I have failed myself into a a life that I love. I mean, (laughs) and I continue to like I feel like a failure a lot of my life and I absolutely am having a great time. And it, it, it also, you know, there's something about the way maybe it is you write or the phrasing of things. Um, but uh, you, make, you make this thing about failure feel fun. There's a, there's, a, there's a playfulness in the two of you that comes out in the writing, I guess. And, and so on a tougher topic like that, it doesn't feel heavy. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. We spend a lot of time, I mean, trying to build down our coaching client uh, calls and what we're learning from ourselves and from others into, you know, digestible chunks, right? Like what, what's the one or two lines that gets this point across that people can leverage um, to remind themselves on a daily basis so that when they, when they run across that little failure or that disappointment, they don't get stuck. Um, and that's something that a lot of us do. Right? Yeah. It's also removing our definition of what we think a failure is, yeah. right? Because nothing is good or bad as our thinking makes it so. That's 100% true, yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. And then the next two are killers. People who want you to be somebody else. Mm. And there's something about this that really speaks to me in that there's this interesting dichotomy in life that I've been dying to talk to the two of you about, which is on one hand, as human beings, we're, we're, we're pack animals, we're tribe creatures, right? We, and we want to feel, we want to be accepted and, and we love our similarities, right? So I'm a Canadian. You run into somebody at the grocery store who's a Canadian and for some stupid reason, makes no sense whatsoever, there's, there's a bit of a kinship that immediately fires up. It may or may not lead to anything, but that there, there's, there's something, when we find things to connect on, we started off talking about our tastes in music that are similar and now we have a, there's an affinity, a place for us to start the connection. So on one hand, as human beings, we look for that, and when it happens, particularly when it happens via serendipity like that, there's something special in the connection that can occur. 
Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, the thing we most want to be loved for is the thing or things that make us uniquely us. Mm-hmm. Right? The things that we think are special or, or important about us, our particular areas of interest, our, 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 the things we like to engage in and uh, the kind of way we want to conduct ourselves in our lives. And so there's this interesting dichotomy about life. And, and to me, anyway, you're speaking to it here, which is um, we want to be able to connect on things where we're the same, but the truth is we want to be loved for what's uniquely us. And so when I hear people who want you to be somebody else, my interpretation of it is, um, my friend Bix Bixen says the true definition of love is when you're loved for exactly who you are and exactly who you're not. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear when I read this, but I'm curious why this is here for you guys. I know that Angel and I, like all of us, right? And I think we're all, you know, different and unique. Um, but at the same time, we, 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 we struggle with this, this situation where we have people in our lives who love us, right? People in our lives who love us and people in our lives who don't know us. And in both cases, we have these expectations of how these people are going to treat us, right? Now, it's easy when you have a passerby on the street who doesn't embrace you or accept you for who you are and just write them off and say, well, I'm going to let them go. Like, it's not worth my time. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done because they can get to you. But what happens when it's somebody you do love, right? Like, what happens when it's a brother or sister or parent or something like that. Um, and that, I, that's, the, that's the true challenge in letting go of other people's expectations of you, right? And, and to not take it personally is the real key, is to realize that and you sort of mentioned it, that we all have this unique understanding about what we want in our lives. And so, you know, if for example, if, if, if your brother who loves you does not accept or embrace the life change that you're making, even though it's a healthy one, and kind of says, oh, that's a waste of time. That's not right for you. You're going to fail or whatever the case. A lot of times that's about him. It's not about you, right? And so you have to ask yourself, like, has this person who's saying this stuff to me or this person this person who's kind of like, let's say, naysaying me a bit, have they been down the road I'm walking, right? Have they been down this path before me? And if the answer is yes, then of course, you got to be logical about it and say, well, it's worth listening to. Maybe, maybe they have some advice that's worth listening to. But a lot of times the answer is no. And they are speaking from within the boundaries of their own limitations. And if it's somebody that you love, they might be naysaying you just because it scares them that you're about to break out of their comfort zone and do something and walk down a path that they've never been down themselves. And so, again, it's, you know, yes, there are going to be some some jerks in your life that you can just write off. But there's also going to be some great people in your life who you love, who are going to naysay you in some way and or expect something of you, expect you to be someone you're not. And you have to address those situations a little bit more logically. You have, to, you have to zero in on the fact that this is not a personal attack. This is something that's about more them than you. And you can, you can be more mindful about that and, and address it with grace. And I'm actually going to take it from a different route. I think sometimes, often, we have our guards up. So we don't even let people see the real us. Mm-hmm. We don't let people see what makes us unique because we're trying to fit what we think they want us to be or they want us to look like. So I think it, you can you can look at it from two different perspectives. Like, am I letting somebody see the real me or am I what they want me to be? Mm-hmm. I'm reminded, Mark, of that expression we had when we were kids. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> 
as you were talking. <laughs> well, no, it's true. When sometimes when people criticize us, you're like, I, this is a lot more about you than it is about me, isn't it? Like, oh, what's 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 going on here? Yeah. Now, the next one I thought was equally powerful, and I, I'd love you to kind of unearth it a little bit. Um, uh, people who are already gone. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the holding on, right? That's the someone who's not here. This could be a this could be a love interest or a relationship. It could be a divorce. It could be a you know broken friendship. Um, it could be the loss of a life. But we we hold on to. Um, the, the the terrible words we hold on to the the we, we i mean we can do it on both the negative and the positive right we can hold on to those terrible words that someone once said about us and pretend like that person's words are are somehow reflecting of who we are today as if we haven't grown as if that person is is, is the holy grail right so there's that end of it um, and we need to learn to see ourselves for who we are today and not for what someone in some very uh, unique and confined situation once said about us or, or experienced about our lives. Um, so there's that. And then on, on the positive end or the flip side of that, I, I think also we, we need to learn to embrace the present, leveraging some of those good memories. Maybe it's somebody that we've lost um, in a way that empowers us to be our best selves. So not living our lives saying that this person who's no longer in our lives um, I'm not going to be able to step forward without them, but more, I'm going to step forward with them. They are a part of who I am, and I'm going to address everything that I have in front of me with their memory as part of my fuel. Um, both, of course, are hard to do. It, it also strikes me, um, the same thing can be true in a work context. It, it, I often find it ironic that um, to get a promotion, often people have to leave because. I've seen this in my career. You know, somebody is a junior product manager and over a course of three or four or five years, they actually acquire the skill set to be, you know, a, a senior director of product management. But because they started at this company in this slot and the leadership sees them in this slot, they're ignorant to the fact that they have headhunters calling to recruit them to a job that's two or three levels above where they are. And my favorite, of course, and this is something I take great, great joy in, is uh, when younger, more junior people that I worked with in my past, they're CEOs today, they're entrepreneurs today, they're CMOs, they're running engineering. Uh, uh, you know, I just ran into a guy who's now the uh, head of marketing for a recently publicly uh, traded company, newly publicly traded company, and he's killing it. And I talked to his CEO who I just knew a little bit. And, you know, it, 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 I'm stoked to see somebody who, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago was in a certain place, a, a junior spot, and now here they are running, running the damn place. Yeah. And so, but ironically, it's the, it's the unique company that um, allows that person to grow at the speed that they actually grow at inside the company because they get pigeonholed. Hmm. I think you know something about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Angel, I mean, she worked her way up. I mean, prior, in a past life, I mean, she was a very young um, uh, manager of a, of a, a retail, a big retail chain. Still she was young, Mark. Still very, very young. Yeah, <laughs> and still young now. Uh, but she was in, I mean, you were in your early 20s at that yeah. point. And, and yet managing how many people? Well, running a $14 million store with 100 110 employees. The vast majority of those employees were much older than yeah. you. And that was interesting to watch, like the, the stress that she had on her 
being kind of pigeonholed as a younger person who is, you know, she had her degree. She had all the, all, she had a lot of experience. She'd been there since she was in her teenage years. And yet it, it was, a, I mean, that's an interesting dynamic, you know, and, but, but, but rising above it and succeeding anyway. Now, um, can I make a comment about the two of you? Show sure. for it. <laughs> you, you guys are adorable. <laughs> well thank you well thank you for admiring us <laughs> I, I don't mean it to i mean i guess maybe it is corny i don't know but you're very cute and it's it's highly unusual um to see this to see a couple doing this kind of thing and doing it together and um i i was hoping both of you were going to join but i thought you know maybe one of you would but no here you are and uh, yeah. i see you guys out in the media and doing speeches and doing and and, and you do this shit together you're freaking fracked Yep, yep. And you know, that's one of the most common questions we get is how do you do it all together? <laughs> yeah, without, without really. And we, we can go there, but I'm just commenting on, uh, you know, as a marketer, um, it's a very powerful niche down. It's a very powerful different. You stand in the world of self-help, personal growth, do goody, feel goody, coachy, speechy, book writey, podcasty in that world, right? That is an exploding world. Um, it's hard to differentiate. It's hard to stand out. And uh, I think you guys have quality thinking and quality work. There's no question about that. You wouldn't be where you are if that wasn't true. And you're an interesting niche down. There are very few couples out doing this kind of work and doing it together. It'd be one thing if maybe you wrote together, but for the most part, you know, when you did things like this, you weren't together or you gave speeches apart all the time or, you know, that you sort of came together and broke apart. But best I can tell when you're out in the world talking about all the good shit, for the most, maybe you do some shit, you'll tell me, but you're together a lot. Yeah. yeah, we're together a lot. And, you know, it, it, it's unique um, and it's a, a good opportunity because, you know, we're saying a similar message, but differently. Right. So you may resonate with the way Mark delivers it or you may resonate with how I deliver it. So it is interesting. to It's a good dynamic to have two different perspectives. Yeah, it actually started with coaching. So believe it or not, we did a lot of the life coaching we do through our courses and stuff. Um, and we did it together and we found that when we did either group or single coaching, as long as it was okay with the client, um, they were getting two perspectives instead of one, right? They were hearing both of our voices and both of our opinions about this. Cause as a life coach, it's different than therapy, right? Like you can be a little bit more, you, you can put a little bit more of your story in there. And so, yeah, you get the female and the male perspective, husband and wife. Um, and, if, and, and certainly we see things differently and I think it's the, it's the power of those you know, both sides together that, yeah, that, that is maybe a little bit of a twist. Um, and it, it, it does niche us down a bit. Um, and it, it gives us also the ability to make uh, interviews, make uh, speeches more conversational, which we love, uh, yeah. as opposed to like one talk about. <laughs> well, and the other thing that's interesting is um, it, it's very, I, I, I don't know the right way to say it, but it's very, you, you, let me say it this way. It's very, you're very right for the time. And, and there's this wonderful old expression, uh, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so with anybody, um, there's the message and the messenger and we're all soaking in both, right? Um, and, and both are equally important and some argue one's more important and, and, and maybe the messenger, I, I, what do I know? But we're both, what I do know is when we're reading anything, when we're uh, listening to something, when we're watching something, when we're experiencing another human being in a conversation, there's the content 
And then there's the experience of being with that person. And so with the two of you, the interesting dynamic, uh, you know, Mark, you're, I would describe you as kind of a manly man, you know, good looking dude, looking, you look strong and you have a big voice and, and so forth and so on. And so it would be, let me say, maybe not uncommon for in a duo like this, given that for you to try to be, you know, manly and do 80% of the talking or, but there's this, there's this weird dynamic or weird, there's this powerful dynamic with the two of you. There's a level of respect. Um, you almost speak 50, 50 for each other. You flip it back. It's almost like watching, I don't know, this is going to sound like I've lived on the West coast too long. Okay. But it's <laughs> watching the two of you talk is like watching a dance. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that. That's that's a, a truly a, a nice compliment. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and I think it's uh, equally powerful, and maybe even more powerful than the content. Yeah, I think. I mean, a conversation that's real is always more powerful than anything that's pre-planned. I think at our live event, uh, we host an annual live event called Think Better, Live Better. Um, we bring about three hundred people together in your neck of the woods in San Diego. Um, right over on Sail Bay. We've held it the last couple of years at the Catamaran Resort and Spa. And, um, you know, putting on a live event is tough, right? I mean, it, it, that's, that's hard work. Um, I tell you what, putting on a, a smaller live event like 300 people is not an incredibly lucrative play. Um, there's a lot that goes into that for like ticket sales, right? The reason we do it is for what you're kind of talking about here, which is bringing a bunch of people into a space to have a conversation, to be raw, um, to not have everything pre-planned, but to really get down. And we'll do live coaching sessions on stage with Angel and I. So we have you know one person out of the audience who volunteers at a time will come up and we'll do a live coaching session. And I tell you what, we could we could we could have a, a, a perfect you know TEDx style talk ready for you. But what's going to be more powerful is going to be that coaching session and those conversations and hearing the male and the female perspective. And then hearing the person's yeah. story and learning from them, right? Um, and seeing ourselves in them and the audience members seeing themselves in that person. So, um, yeah, I, I think what makes maybe Angel and I unique but also powerful is just everything we do, it becomes more of a conversation. We don't want to – one doesn't take the, the lead role, that's for sure. Now, I'm curious, as a couple who work in this field together, you obviously, you know, we talk about our work. and maybe my fir- per- my favorite quote about uh this whole area is um uh from David Lee Roth from Van Halen who said the problem with personal growth is you you, you don't know when to stop um and and so do you like just pump each other up all day long and you miss that back and forth and play with Jean-Paul Sartre ideas and Joseph Campbell and Wayne Dyer and swizzle them all up at each other all day long or and you're just motivating the shit out of each other like motivational maniacs or like how does this work? Uh, you know <laughs> it, it, we're in this work because we need it too right I think we all need it it's helpful that we are doing this for our work because it makes us more involved and more intentional and conscious with what we're doing but no, are we running around being cheerleaders all day, every day? Absolutely not. Um, you know, it, it's great to, to be in this field, to really be forced to practice it and research it and then reiterate it and put it in our own words. So we're very thankful for that. Yeah. I think we've been much more present. I, I think the interesting thing of studying it is the flip side of that is that 
you start to slow it down. You start to dial it down a notch and realize again that it's about the journey and that you can't always be chasing that, that carrot that's swinging out there somewhere in front of you. You have to be here now. You have to be in today. Um, and, and, and because of that and the, the awareness of that and the ability, the skill set really to be self-disciplined and actually practice it um, is something altogether to know like, oh, I'm going to be here now, but to actually be and to let go of some of the like, to, to make those clear boundaries in your life and let go of the, I'm going to chase the carrot now where I'm going to sit with my five-year-old son and truly pay attention to every word and, and quirky thing that he does. Um, that's what we've been getting better at, right? Like the practice is actually like I am not going to improve myself at all today. As a matter of fact, today, I'm going to make myself worse off than I was yesterday. Like, do you ever just go, fuck all this? Like, I'm going to, I don't know what you do when you decide to behave badly. I know what I do when I decide to behave badly. But there are times when I do that or there's, I don't, do you know who Robert O'Keen is speaking of music? Yes. Yes. He's got this great song called, uh, uh, or the chorus, uh, the refrain in the chorus is, I kind of like this doing nothing. It's something that I do. And he sings a lot about wasting time and, and in some cases feeling bad about wasting time. But the, like sometimes on a Wednesday afternoon, I waste the entire afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I have that here do nothing time. I mean, yeah. that's, that's something we don't schedule yeah. enough, really. Like we, I think especially as an entrepreneur, right? Like you, you think to yourself, like, I've got to be creating the next thing. Yeah. I've got to be on to the next one instead of enjoying the, like the things that you've created, right? And supporting some of those things. Yeah. I don't necessarily think time wasted is wasted time. I agree. It's, it's time for self-care. It's time to relax. We don't always have to be go, go, go. And honestly, like Mark said, like, I think one of the biggest things we've learned recently, especially having a young son, is slowing down and being patient and enjoying what is right now instead of chasing and running and planning. Um, so yeah, being present, wasting that time is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think a kid can dial you into that so quickly because they're, they're, they're paying attention to all of yeah, it, right? Yeah, a kid and a pet. Yeah. I mean, like my son, I remember one time, like, you know, I would, when I, when he was a little younger, so he's like in like, like the two and a half range, he, um, he would like, if I walked out of the room, he would be like, daddy, where are you? Daddy, where are you? You know? And like, he'd want me to come back in and look at the toy and the thing that he was doing. And one day I was sitting right next to him. I didn't get up and leave. I was right there physically. And my phone started vibrating in my pocket. So naturally what do I do? I take it out. I'm starting to, you know, looking at the text, playing with it. And he looks right at me and he goes, daddy, where are you? Right. He says the same phrase as if I, I physically walked out of the room and I was like, oh, my God, you're right. Like, I'm not here with you. Um, and so, I mean, what like that's a lesson from a five year old. Right. I mean, and that is it's those little moments, I think, that we've gotten better with over the years. Right. So not necessarily we've become more disciplined, I think, at creating the boundaries to say this is the work time. This is the go time. This is where we're going to pump ourselves up. And then this is the time where we're going to do exactly what you just said. And that is do nothing, which is nothing and enjoy it. Yeah. Now there's so many places to jump around in this book. Um, so if you don't mind, uh, 21 quick tricks to feel better instantly. So I love <laughs> that there's, there's, there's a lot of philosophical, you know, mindset-y shit in here. That's really, you know, deep, deep, Jack handy, deep thought stuff. Uh, and then there's this stuff, which is just a little quick tippy things. And, and some of these I love, this is the one that jumped out at me was number five, go outdoors. And I remember years and years ago, I was living in um, a suburb of Toronto and I was listening to these Deepak Chopra tapes and he would say, spend an hour a day in nature. 
Mm. And I was living in Toronto, a suburb of Toronto. And I remember hearing this going, who the fuck spends an hour a day in nature, man? Like, yeah, Deepak, that would be great if I was like some unbelievable monk or, but like I got shit to do. And, you know, uh, <laughs> and of course today uh, I spend way more than an hour uh, yeah. outdoors, but it just really struck me. It's like, yeah, if you're feeling like shit, go for a walk in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Just let the sun hit your skin. Yeah. We yeah, go outside. Yeah. We, we forget. Yeah. Like, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as instead of going to the gym and running, walking on the treadmill or running on the treadmill, do it outside. Right. I mean, it's uh, figure out how to like, like take a lunch break instead of sitting at your desk or sitting in the office, take it outside and sit on a bench. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Like you don't necessarily need to get into the woods, but if you're staring at a, a lake or a green space or just something, a tree, I mean, anything like watch the wind blow the leaves. I mean, that can be relaxing. And a lot of, I mean, in this day and age, so many of us are sitting inside screens, like constantly plugged in and connected, and we're not giving ourselves those breaks we need. I mean, this is simple stuff, right? This is stuff we know, and yet how many times do we not practice it? We don't, we don't go with our better judgment on that stuff. I love it. It's, you go for a 10-minute walk. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's all you need. I mean, that I really do a 10-minute walk every day. I mean, I get a reasonable amount of exercise, I think, but uh, I still try to go for a 20-minute walk every day. Just get outside, walk around. Anyway, I loved it. The other one I loved here, and it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I, um, I've always loved music. There's been lots of music in my life. You say, listen to your favorite music. And I started this practice, um, before doing every episode of the podcast, which is what I was doing when, when you guys came on, which is, I listen, I get into the studio at least 15 minutes early. I kind of review my notes. I give myself some a time to breathe and I put the headphones on and I crank music. I love <laughs> like, I, and I don't listen to any new music. I don't know. This is not when I discover new shit, which I also enjoy doing. This is when, you know, like just before, um, um, STP, I was listening to, uh, um, honky tonk woman, the Rolling Stones. Okay. Right. And I'm listening. I'm thinking, man, that cowbell never sounded so good. Right? <laughs> and I find, you know, it puts me in the mindset that I want to be in, yeah. uh, have a co great conversation with somebody. I, I, I really do want to rock out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I cook dinner, I love listening to like pop dance music, you know, that is not current because the current stuff I don't fully know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the past stuff that gets me moving and excited and puts me in a good mood. We, ha we all have those songs and that type yeah. of music. Yeah, there's, there's music that pumps you up and there's music that can get you in the, the mood to work too. I mean, we'll sometimes put on like some slower stuff like uh, Kygo is a DJ. I believe he's a DJ of the UK and um, he kind of remixes songs and it's a little bit slower, more groovy. Uh, it's kind of, it's not really dance. It's, it's slower than that, but like electronic music. And so if you put on uh, like the Kygo Pandora channel, I mean, there's like how many stations roll on a Pandora yeah. channel. Maybe like they, they, they'll do like 25 songs and they just keep on repeating until you, until you start thumbs upping them. But we know those songs. And so we'll put those on while we're working. And so it's like the same songs over and over and over again. And it kind of like, it's, it sort of like sets the tone for work sometimes, right? Like if you don't want quiet and you need something there, put on something that you know, and I'm sure you have your playlist, something that you know very well, and that can, that can kind of set the tone for work as well. Well, and I love boxing and martial arts. And there's a reason fighters come on to their favorite songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? It gets them amped up to go fight. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Music's powerful. Yeah, we can't underestimate that. That's why we're listening to it when we run, right? I mean, every step is easier when you're going to STP. (laughs) And actually, I've read in, you know, men's journal or, you know, all these men, how to be a good, handsome dude porno magazine type things uh, the the apparently there's research out that that says if you listen to music in the gym you listen to music when you run etc you run more you do more reps and i know i do oh yeah i definitely painful running without music going yeah, it drains out the pain <laughs> <laughs> drains the pain a good music drains the pain yeah. i like it when i'm uh, riding a bike the, the one place i don't want and i love it skiing um, the one place I really don't want it, however, is surfing. Mm-hmm. There, there are people do do it now, but, uh, I, I, I don't know why I don't want it. I, I just want, I, I want that. I want to hear the water. I, I wouldn't yeah. want to, I wouldn't want to rock out surfing. I don't know why. Maybe it's a little more like church to me, although the mountains are like church, but I don't know why it works in one place and doesn't for me. But anyway, yeah, that probably is the waves. You know what? I tell you what, I used to take long runs, uh, long runs, four to five miles on uh, P- Pacific Beach in San Diego, Southern California. And I never, when I ran on the stand, I never listened to anything. I didn't have any audio. Yeah. On. I was on the boardwalk itself away from the ocean. I would listen to music all day, every day. Yeah. When I went on the stand, I just wanted to hear the ocean. And it was, it's just like a different mindset for that. Yeah. I, I, it's got to be the sound of the ocean. That's got to be the difference. Yeah. Now, at the beginning of the book, there's this other list that's awesome, or another list that's awesome, 10 mistakes unhappy people make. And the first one just screamed at me, thinking you have already missed your chance. Don't we all do that? I can't, I can't tell you guys how many times I thought, oh, I've missed the boat on this thing already. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you look back and it's like, oh, it's a blessing that didn't work out. Right. Or, I mean, the opportunity sitting right in front of you, like, not too late. It's never not too late. We, we, we think that all, I mean, throughout our entire lives, we think about podcasting. Uh, right. We're too old. We can't, like, podcasting's too far along. Mark and Angel can't start their podcast because this is, this is, I mean, we'll never make the top. No, podcast. there's 600,000 podcasts. Awesome. You're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, what's all crazy about the flip side? I don't think we're too young. Oh, it's not the right time yet. So that's the flip side of it. It's like, I, I need to wait because I'm, I don't know enough yet to get that podcast off the ground. So I either, I'm either. You need some gray in your hair there, handsome. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's one or the other, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, guys, I think you've written a wonderful book. Uh, and, and as I hope you could tell, I've, I've, you know, banged around in lots of it. Are there any parts of it you kind of want to steer me to or any things you want to tease out that um, we haven't touched on? I mean, I, re- I really love just even in the introduction that talks about, you know, our expectations of what we think things sh- or people should look like or act like, you know, in the book, it talks about an example of the tangerine, you know, we bite into a tangerine and it's sour, it doesn't taste the way we expect it to taste. And then we bite into it and it, it, it does taste what we expect it to taste like, and therefore we're not impressed. So in both situations, we're not happy with the tangerine because of our expectations. And so I, I think really sitting with that and understanding like where in our life are we putting expectations and because we're not meeting those or appreciating where we are right now that we're disgruntled or it's holding us back. Mm-hmm. You know, either something it meets our expectations to a T 
or doesn't meet our expectations. And in either case, it's either uninteresting because it meets our expectations to a T or it's uh, not good enough because it, it hasn't met our expectations. And I mean, and we go through our lives that way. We, like everything's either, you know, not good enough for us or eh, it's just average, right? Instead of just paying attention and realizing the average, sometimes the uninteresting, the do nothing days, the downtime is incredible if you're willing to embrace it um, and leveraging the reminders necessary to make that happen. I saw this on a bumper sticker a little while ago. It said something, I might be a little off, but it said, if you're not amazed, you're not paying attention. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, sometimes like you just look at the moon and go, that's fucking awesome right there. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, even, you know, sometimes people get upset if the Wi-Fi is not working on an airplane. And it's like, you're 30,000 feet in the air. Like, that is a miracle in itself. Like, isn't that amazing? You know, it's not crashing. How good. (laughs) You're alive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're all guilty, uh, guilty of that, of course. Um, But uh, I do find maybe it's a reflection of time on earth. I don't know. But I do find that I tend to have more moments of noticing. You know, uh, yesterday morning, I went for a surf with my buddy, Mike, and getting out of the water. And there's a lot of people around here that bitch about June. They call it June gloom because we tend to get a lot of fog in Santa Cruz in June. I happen to love the fog. I could, I'd happily talk about fog with you for the next two hours. Um, so anyway, I don't feel that way and I don't like that expression. And so we surfed early. We're getting out of the water. It was around 7.30 in the morning, maybe quarter to eight. And it was still overcast but it was low tide. So, so the reef was exposed and, um, the kelp and, you know, there was just this incredible beauty. And then of course the waves were breaking and a seagull flew over and made that sort of classic, you know, seagull noise that, you know, instantly is sort of the sound of the beach. And I just, in my mind's eye, I took a photograph of the scene and I just thought like, Holy shit. This is, this is like some kind of an incredible movie set. Like I didn't even think this existed. Right. And I'm, I'm standing here now. Right. And I find, I don't know, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting older, maybe I'm getting corny, but I find, uh, I'm more likely to have moments like that where I take that snapshot. There's this great song by the counting crows called long December. And there's a lyric in the song that, that, that goes, uh, I try to hold on to these moments as they pass. Yeah. That happens to be one of our favorite bands. You're, you're, probably you're the speaking Crows. our language. We've probably seen the Counting Crows live in concert eight times. <laughs> we've gone to New Jersey. We've gone to see them in Las Vegas. We've been all over to see them. Yeah, great band and great lyrics. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we, we completely agree with you too. I mean, and you notice what you focus on grows. So if you're able to see like the joy and the, the gloom and take that snap mental snapshot and you're able to do that consistently with what's going on in your life, you're more often to see it when you're not even trying to because you're putting in the intention and the effort to notice what's going on good and what, what you have to be grateful. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's simple stuff, but it's not easy to do that daily. Right. And that's, that's kind of the key thing to remember. And that's why a book like a thousand little things can help you is just that, I mean, these are reminders that we all sort of inherently know. And yet so often we, we bypass that better judgment. We, we do not practice the things that we know. And so bringing, that's why an affirmation or something like that is so powerful, a prayer or whatever you want to call it is because it can bring that to the forefront of your mind. I mean, and that's the hard thing. The hard thing that we have to do to be happy, to be present and aware is to practice, right? 
we have to do those things, the things that nobody else can do for us, the things that on some days make us question just how much longer we can push forward with this ritual. Um, because at the end of the day, those are the things that ultimately define us, right? Those are the things that make the difference between just existing and living, between knowing the path and actually walking the path. Um, between a lifetime, honestly, of a lot of mediocrity and holding back on ourselves and a lifetime filled with more potential and, and, and more happiness and more peace of mind. Um, and we need, as human beings, none of us are above this. Angel said that earlier. We need the reminders to keep us on track so that we take those small steps every day and we make progress and we notice the progress and that ultimately makes us happier human beings. Yeah, I forget who said it. I was just trying to look quickly, but it didn't come up that uh, who you are is what, we, what you do repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, Tell we are. 15 things you do most often and I know who you are. Yeah. And we underestimate the power of that, right? We know that habits and rituals are important, but we underestimate it like because the progress doesn't come quick, <laughs> quick enough for us. We expect it to, be, to show up. We expect, oh, if we do this, we're going to get that quick. But it's the compounding, right? I mean, it's... But there's we, an interesting dichotomy there, too, because the things we value are not things that come easily or quickly. That's why we value them. But yet we seek out the six-minute abs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quick fix. Yeah. We underestimate the, uh, the importance of, you know, the little important things that we can do on a daily basis. And we overestimate truly the importance of that one big defining moment. Yeah. So we, we say, oh, I want to get to that New York Times bestseller, but we, we don't think about, okay, I need to write. I need to hone the craft. I need to have something, a story worth telling, which means living my life. I mean, it's all of that that ultimately leads to something that's worth reading. Um, and that, you know, that obviously that analogy can be transferred to anything in our lives. Well, and I think, at least for me, um, I only learned that after I, to use a Canadian expression, put some moose on the hood, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think it's only after you've had some success that you realize, um, yes, is it incredible when you stand there at NASDAQ and you push the button and the company starts tra- trading for the first time? Yes, it is. Is it incredible when you see that your books hit number one on day one on Amazon, it, that's an incredible day. And then the next morning you wake up and you poo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're the same person. Yeah. I mean, and so I'm not discounting the power of the accomplishments and I'm, you know, I've had some amazing experiences. I'm, I hope I'm working at more, right. And we all are. And that's very, very cool. And that day, doing that thing or when the big result shows up is a very awesome day. Celebrate the shit out of it for sure. But then you wake up the next morning. <laughs> yeah. So far, we had that exact experience last year. You know, our, our book, Getting Back to Happy, the previous book hit the New York Times bestseller list. And it was something that we weren't even shooting for. And it was a huge surprise. Um, and I mean, it was crazy. I mean, yeah, they, they, they got from that, we got on the Today Show. I mean, we were, did this whole media tour. It was wild. And they did like a full segment on us. And when we stepped back from all of it, I mean, it was exactly what you're saying. It was like, it didn't change us. It was, it was these immense, like, it was like hitting that times list is like what all the authors, every blogger wants. And yet after the fact, it did not change a thing for us. Right. (laughs) I mean, it really like, we're still who we are. We still have our coaching clients. We still host our annual event. Like we still do our thing. Um, And people wanted to know two things though, really. Right. They wanted to know, one is how did it change your life? Like, what, like, what, what is this? The big, the big next step that happened for you. And two, it was like, how do I do that? 
right? <laughs> like all, all the, all the people in our, in our in like inner circle of like, you know, writers, authors, bloggers, it was like, how did you do that? How did you hit the times list? And it, the funny thing is like the, the, the answer to, to question one, obviously, I mean, there's a million ways you can go, but, but question two, it's like, it was about the journey. It was doing all those little things. It was, it was the ritual. It was every day. It was the work. It was the coaching. It was going through those tough life experiences, doing the therapy, reading the books, writing about it. I mean, it was 12 years that led to that. There wasn't like, I can't give you one thing. I can't even give you 10 things. The thing about, and I know the answer to your question. I, I didn't ask you that question. I know what the fucking answer is. Cause the answer to how you did it is the exact same answer as to how everybody does it. Right. And nobody likes the answer. Yeah. Right? The answer is spend somewhere between 10 and 25 years working your ass off figuring a bunch of shit out, failing and feeling like a loser. And one day you put it all together and everybody goes, Oh, look, they got lucky. Right. I mean, that's every fucking, and, and nobody likes that story. It's a terrible story. Write <laughs> yeah. every day for 12 years about the things that give you the most, that have been the major point pain points in your life. And maybe, maybe someone will find it useful. I mean, it, there's more to it than that for sure, but you, you do have, you can be precise. You can be smart about the things that you do. Um, you can you can read great books about great human beings and learn from their lives. Um, but the consistency of doing it is the power. I mean, consistency is a human superpower. If you can be incredibly consistent with with something that you know adds value to other people's lives in your own life, you're going to make a difference one way or the other, and you're going to be recognized for it. And more importantly, you're going to feel good about it. Amen. Anything else you folks want to touch on before we wrap? No. No. We just appreciate being here. Thank yes. you so much for having us. Well, Angel, you're an angel. <laughs> Thank you. I love the conversation. Such a great name <laughs> for a great gal. And the two of you are absolutely, and I'll just say it, you're adorable together. And it's really fun to have you doing this work. I'm so glad you decided to not do whatever it was you used to do and do this. Uh, it's very fun. Uh, you bring a whole a whole different dynamic. And uh, I think it's wonderful work. And I, I really enjoyed getting to know you and getting to know you through this book. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much for the kindness. Truly appreciate it. Stay legendary guys. All right. Take care. Well, there they are, Mark and Angel. I'm sure, uh, I hope you enjoyed, I'm sure you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you know somebody else who might love it, why not share with them right now. <laughs> now, speaking of things that you might want to consider right now, is it grow time in your business? Uh, what business doesn't want to uh, figure out how to grow, grow more effectively, grow more responsibly, and have more control over their numbers and uh, information as they grow? And that's what NetSuite is all about. Thousands of super high growth startups and nonprofits rely on NetSuite. Because NetSuite is the business management software that handles every component of your business in the cloud. And NetSuite grows with you. Uh, you might just be two people in a garage or sitting around a picnic table in a spare bedroom, all the way to the IPO and beyond. You can quick you can quick, you can ditch QuickBooks or any other uh, hodgepodge of uh, business systems that maybe you used when you were uh, in the very beginning stages and have one complete platform for every part of your business from sales, finance, accounting, 
order management, and HR. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business, and it's available to you, and it's surprisingly cost-effective. And as a listener to this podcast, um, you know, now you've probably heard me say this before. You probably know what I'm about to say, which is they're offering you a free 60-minute growth review with an expert in your industry. And if you've heard me say this before, why not take them up on it right now and go to netsuite.com slash different because now's the time to uh, know and to grow. netsuite.com slash different. And uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I am at Lockhead on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to send us email, send email to blackhole at lockhead.com. The other thing I tell you is um, when you're at lockhead.com, subscribe to our newsletter. That's the only way we know you exist. So even if you subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever other platform, the only way we know you're there and we can have a direct relationship is uh, if you subscribe to our newsletter on lockhead.com. And here's what I'll tell you. A, we have been working super hard to create great content for the newsletter. Uh, insights from some of the um, from some of the guests we've been having and some other cool things going on. Uh, we try to be thoughtful, engaging, and uh, practical. Um, so that's point A. Point B, we will never, over my dead body, sell your email address to anybody else. So uh, hit us up at lockhead.com. All right. We would like to thank... Uh, Penguin, Penguin Random House's brand new book by Mark and Angel Chernoff, our guests today. 1,000 plus little things that happy, successful people do differently. Check it out wherever you get legendary books. The good folks at OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is a nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out. The number one OneLifeFullyLive.org. My favorite popcorn. And, I, you know, I got to tell you, I'm not a big popcorn guy. I like it, but uh, it's not something I'm generally passionate about. But I am passionate about my friends at Fisher's Popcorn since 1937. Check them out at fishers-popcorn.com. My friends at bottleneck.online. This is the outfit helping to scale you by giving you back the most valuable resource we all have, which is our time with the power of a virtual uh, assistant. Check out bottleneck.online today. Growwire.com. It's what legendary entrepreneurial leaders are reading. Uh, check it out. Growwire.com. I also want to tell you about a great podcast that I enjoy very much, the Mission Daily Podcast. It was one of Apple's top podcasts for 2018. Check out the Mission Daily Podcast and the amazing folks at Kiva.org. This is the outfit helping you give uh, uh, no interest loans to entrepreneurs in the developing world. It's an incredible service. Uh, it'll make you feel good. Check out kiva.org today. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. Warning. It tends to go better with libations. <laughs> uh, support global happiness. Speaking of happiness, don't forget about John's Crazy Socks, the official sock supplier to this podcast. Tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Remember, you can get a fine in the state of California for going slowly on the highway. <laughs> Listen to the Ramones. I don't feel tardy. Only buy pasture-raised, free-range eggs. I love you, uh, Candy Dandy. And uh, thanks, Mom and Dad, or the other way around, or both. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Richard C. Kelly, chairman of Pacific Gas and Electric. 
Sorry, Dick. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Uh, Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your difference.